Well, good morning to you and Merry Christmas. Man, it's good to see you all here today. Uh, as James said, we're just a week away. Uh, show of hands, how many of you still have Christmas shopping to do? Wow, that's a lot of you. <laughs> Walmart's going to be busy this week. Uh, if you see each other, just say hi while you're there. Um, hey, next week is Christmas Eve. It's fallen on a Sunday this year. And I just want to take a moment to kind of give you the details of how next week is going to work. And so next week, we're not going to have any Sunday morning services, okay? So zero Sunday morning services. All of our services are going to be in the evening and afternoon. So the first service is at 2.30, then 4, 5.30, and 7 o'clock, okay? So that's when all the services are going to be. Same time online. If you're attending online, it's going to be the same time. All the services are going to be exactly the same. So it doesn't matter um, in that regard which one that you come to. And they're all going to be about 50 or so minutes long. So you can plan for that. Now, um, on that day, next Sunday, we're actually planning for about 1,500 people to join us in services, which is pretty cool. And the good news is, is we have room for everybody as long as all of you just don't show up on the same time, all right? So um, one of the ways that you can help us as we try to manage this tension is by simply going to crossroadsabc.com slash Christmas. You can even do that right now while I'm talking. I'm not going to be offended by that. And you can help us by registering for which service you and everybody who's attending with you um, is going to come to, all right? So just so you know, um, I just looked, there are four spots left at 2.30. That's it, four spots at, uh, or I'm sorry, at 2.30. At four o'clock, it's still about half or 60% full. And then there's plenty of room at 5.30 and 7. So here's the deal. Um, you still have a chance to get ahead of all those people who procrastinated at 8.30 and the 11 o'clock don't even know yet, all right? So you can get in on this before while all these other people are still sleeping, you can get to the service you want to, all right? So take Take care of that. Help us out. We want to make sure that everybody has a seat uh, in the service that they want to attend because we're going to have a great time celebrating together because what we're celebrating is really, really important and it's really special, right? It's the amazing reality that God, his light, his son, Jesus, uh, came into this world. It was a birth that changed everything. Generations waited on it. Prophets foretold it until it was finally realized in that stable in the little town of Bethlehem. And it's the birth of Jesus as to why this entire season is the season of light. It's the birth of Jesus why our entire city is wrapped in millions and millions of twinkling lights. That from the very beginning, what we've said is that when it comes to the Christmas season, that the message of Christmas is that in a land of deep darkness that is evil, light dawns. And so throughout this whole season of Christmas, from Thanksgiving through Christmas Eve, uh, we've worked on and really dedicated our focus to the significance of light in the scriptures. And so we're going to continue that today. So if you're here, week one, we talked about darkness and really what does it mean that this is a land of dwelling in deep darkness? Then in week two, we talked about this light that was promised through this child that would come in Isaiah. Then last week, we saw as Jesus proclaimed himself to be that child. And today we continue looking at this theme of light by looking at a passage in 1 John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, 1 John chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today. If you don't have one, we'll put the verses on the screen. 
And every week uh, during this Christmas season, I've made the offer to you that if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, we would love to give you one. This church is so generous. We purchased Bibles just like this one, nice Bibles, uh, to give you during this Christmas season. And so if you don't have one and you would like one, just stop by the Welcome Center and uh, we will give you one as a gift to you uh, this Christmas, all right? So as you turn to John chapter 1, uh, when I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, I worked for my uncle. And my uncle owns one of the largest farm distributing companies in the entire United States. And for the first couple of years that I worked with him, I worked in um, the warehouse and it was really hard work. Our days would start oftentimes at eight in the morning and we wouldn't get done until eight or 9 p.m. at night. And a typical day, like in the morning, would be when all of the trucks from our suppliers came in and we'd unload those with forklifts and all of that. And then the afternoon into the evening, a lot of our customers were mom and pa shops. And so we would stack by hand pallets, build pallets, about 2,000 pounds, and we'd run those into the trucks 22 deep. It was super hard work. Now, one of the products that my uncle carries uh, in his warehouse is high-end dog food. And if you didn't know that high-end dog food is full of fat, and one of the things that um, would happen occasionally is that raccoons would make their way from the city dump and into the warehouse, and they would take up residence right there in the dog food. Now, during the day, it wasn't a big deal. The warehouse was full of natural light. There was sunlight everywhere, and you could zoom around and stack bags and not worry about anything. But as the day turned to nights, when you got into the dog food area that was particularly dark, you would ride in there, and these red beady eyes would just look at you. And these raccoons, man, they were mean. They would take care of a whole pallet of dog food in a night. And so what you would do is you would ride in and you would see those beady eyes and you would flash the high beams of your forklift. And those raccoons, they would growl at you and they'd hiss at you and then they would scurry out into the darkness. And if you were me, I would jump off the list as fast as I can, get the things that I needed, stack and jump on before they came back. My redneck buddies, they'd take a knife, right? And it was like hunting season. But anyways, and I would pull back. I would pull back out of there. And as you pulled the forklift back, the red beady eyes would return uh, as, you, as you left in, you know, the darkness there. So as the Apostle John is writing this letter to a group of believers, he begins this letter by telling us that he was an eyewitness. That is, he had seen it. He had scrutinized it, he had heard it, he had touched it, that the God of the universe, the God who is eternal, had actually become flesh and had manifested himself as life. Now, in church, when we talk about life, it's not just that Jesus is alive, it's that Jesus has been alive forever. That's what we, that's what we mean by that. In relationship with the Father and in relationship with the, the Spirit that Jesus represents the very essence of life, scripturally speaking, all of life flows out of God. It flows out of Jesus. Therefore, there cannot be a life that is deeper, richer, more fulfilling, more satisfactory than a life that can be had in God. Now, for all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have been celebrating life together in relationship. And theologians for centuries have, caused, have called this celebration of life the dance of God, the dance of God. And what John tells us at the very beginning of this letter is that because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus has extended an invitation to every single one of us. He has invited every single one of us to join the dance forever. 
It's one of the most beautiful pictures that we have in all of scripture where humanity is invited to join the dance with God. Now listen, every single one of us was created for this dance that we were created to be in relationship, that our souls long to experience relationship with God. And until you give your soul what it longs for, until that moment when you give your soul what it longs for, your soul will be restless. But here's the deal. God only dances in the lights. That you cannot scurry around in the darkness like raccoons, If you want to dance with God, you too must dance in the light. And what John tells us in this letter is that when the light begins to shine upon you, when the high beams of the fortlift comes upon you, what you do in that moment will be the difference between a soul that is satisfied and thrives and a soul that struggles in anguish and despair. And so with all of that in mind, and all of that as the background, we pick up verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1, where John writes these words, that this is the message that we have heard from him, that him is Jesus. This is Jesus' message, and John says, we're proclaiming it to you. Those yous are the Christians that he's writing to, those yous are us today, that this is the message of Jesus, and John says, I'm the one proclaiming this to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. This is what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks together. It's not that there is light, it's that God is light. And because of that, there is no darkness, there is no shadows, there's no pockets, there's nowhere to hide. And the Greek here is really emphatic. It means that there is no darkness at all. No darkness anywhere. Now, in ancient culture, When it comes to these metaphors of light and dark, these were powerful metaphors. It's it's lost on us in in an age of electricity with flashlights and artificial light everywhere. But in the ancient world, in ancient culture, when it was dark, it was really dark. And so you better be really thoughtful about what you're going to do in the light because when the dark came, you weren't going to get a whole lot done. Light and dark were powerful images. And what you have here is John is saying that God invites us into the dance, but if you're going to dance with God, you have to dance in the light. Verse 6. However, if we say, now you'll notice as we walk through these verses together, that three times John's going to use this phrase, if we say. And every time he uses this phrase, what he's, what he's doing with the if we say is he's alluding to these false narratives of life that we're exposed to. When he says if we say, what he's alluding to are these false narratives that oftentimes we build our lives around. He says if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, the word fellowship here in the Greek is the word koinonia. You might have heard that before. It's kind of a popular church name. But what koinonia means is deep community. It means deep connection. If we say we have deep connection with God, in other words, if we say we dance with God, but we're dancing in the dark, then we're lying. And the light is not actually in us. All the way back in John's gospel, the narrative of Jesus' story, 
John quotes Jesus in verse 19 of chapter 3 saying these words. And this is the judgment. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. He's, he's speaking about himself. The light has come into the world, and people, that is the people of this world, that is us, we're the people, loved the darkness. That the people of the world, they love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. That according to Jesus, when the light shines upon us, humanity's reaction, its tendency, is to scurry into the darkness like a raccoon. It's to hiss and growl and duck back into the shadows. Why? Because in the darkness, we can hide our sin. In the darkness, my faults are hidden. In the darkness, those, those things that I'm embarrassed by that I don't want anybody to see, in the darkness, they can sit there and they, and they can hide. But the moment that I step into the light, suddenly all of that ugliness is exposed, isn't it? That all, suddenly all that stuff that I'm, that I'm not too proud of that's going on in my life, all of a sudden it's seen and all of a sudden I'm, I'm vulnerable. Even though my, my soul longs to dance with God, I begin to retreat and scurry back to the darkness. I don't want my sins exposed, and so I pull into the shadows. And basically, as people, here's what we do. We walk down the, shallow, the, the shadowy alley, and we walk down that until we find another place, and we go, hey, in this place, I'm going to start my own dance studio. I'm going to start my own studio where we can dance. And the only rule is, is that we dance in the dark where nothing can be exposed. See, this is really important for us to understand because I think it happens a lot in Christian circles. There's something deep inside every single one of us that longs for deep, rich community. But when we're exposed to the light, we don't want that, and so we pull back. And yet there really is this longing in our souls and it creates this restlessness and this despair. And so we set up something that's artificial, something that's counterfeit, something that's a cheap imitation of what my soul really longs for. And we find ourselves satisfying for something far less than what God intended. Verse seven, but if we walk in the lights, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The light is on us, John says. The light, is, the light is shining upon you. This is the moment of truth. What do I do? Do I scurry into the darkness like the raccoons? Or do I realize and understand that the whole reason that Jesus came as a babe in the manger is so that by his death, in his blood, that I could be whole? that I could be made clean, that I would be cleansed from, from all of my wrongdoings, from all of my sins. See, when I give my soul what it longs for, then the blood of Jesus cleanses me from every sin, and what I get to experience is koinonia, deep community, deep connection with one another, with the other people in my life. And that feels a little bit odd, doesn't it? Because we would assume 
that the way that John would actually write this is if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then by the blood of Jesus, our sins would be cleansed and we would experience koinia with him, that we would experience koinia with, with God. That's the way, it, that's the way it, it, we would assume that John would write this first, but that's not what he writes. He says we will get to experience koinia, fellowship with one another, that we will have community, real connection with one another. And what John wants us to see is, is that when we come into the light and we allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse us, as we begin to dance, we look around and we see that we're not alone. We realize that as we dance, we're not alone there. That through the blood of Jesus, it, it sets in place the opportunity for deep reach community together true, authentic Christian community that only happens if we allow ourselves to stand in the lights, if we, if we dance with Jesus. Listen, when we come into the lights where all of that ugliness is all of a sudden exposed, rather than pulling back into the shadows, we experience deep community and healing. Do you remember the movie Avengers Endgame at the very end? When everything after everything that had happened, at the very end of that movie, Captain America finally gets to go back and dance with the one that his soul longed for, Peggy Carter. And at least in the theater that I was in, everybody in that moment was either cheering or crying because in the Avengers, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was like, finally, finally, everything is made right. Everything is the way that it's supposed to be. That scene is similar for us. That when we come into the light, we dance. We dance with the one that our soul longs to dance with. And we get to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 where we're standing before God, completely vulnerable, completely exposed, and totally unashamed. And we look around and we realize we're not here alone. And in that moment, we start to understand that everything is different. Everything that, that kept us at a distance because of the dark is now removed. There is no rich or poor. There's no black or white. There's no success or loser. Like all of those things, all of those things that, that separated us in the darkness, now they are all gone. It's all stripped away and we are merely sinners who have been made right by the blood of Jesus. That we dance in the light and the door is open for real and authentic community. Imperfect people reminding themselves over and over again that they are perfectly loved by God and covered by his grace. That's what we call Christian community. That by God's design, we remind each other over and over again of this truth. And it's beautiful. John says, this is, this is beautiful. However, verse eight, if we say, this is the second false narrative of life. If we say we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves. And again, the, the truth is not in us. From Genesis chapter one, we know that each and, every, each and every one of us was created in the image of God. 
And in return, we are constantly trying to recreate God in our own image. In other words, let me say it like this, that we are constantly trying to create a theology that does not expose our sins. We, we somehow rationalize or reason around or excuse behavior that's offensive to God, trying to convince ourselves that it's not all that bad, that it's not really wrong. We say that we have no sin, even, even in the church world. See, for us as believers, somewhere along the way, we brought into the false narrative of life that to be a believer means that we're perfect. And so the way that we go about trying to live our lives is we go out and we put on these masks. And we go out and we, we, live, our, we live our lives and we say things like, like, don't drink, don't do drugs, right? Sex is only for marriage. Be honest. We put on these masks and we say these things, but the moment that no one's around, we take off those masks and suddenly we're skirting around in the shadows with all of these secret addictions coming up and moving. We end up in places like this and we say, hey, look, we're here to love people and to build them up. In the same breath, we go about judging people. Did you see what she wore to church today? We put on one mask but then in other parts of our lives, our behavior is very, very different. In the Bible, this is called hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy goes back to Greek theater where the actors would put on different masks to play different roles. And what we have happening here is Jesus doesn't call us to that kind of life. He doesn't condone or tolerate being two-faced with faith because Jesus does not produce followers who are casual about their own sin. John says, when we do that, when we play that game, we're just self-deceived. We're kidding ourselves. We're scurrying in the darkness. And so what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is found in verse 9, that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess there literally means to agree with, to agree with. That's what confess means there. It means that I agree with. Now, when it comes to Matt Manning, when it comes to me, like, I'm, I'm a pretty good talker. I, I'm good with persuasive arguments. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate. This is the way I live my life. And, and oftentimes I try to use those things in the communication of God's word for his glory. But oftentimes also I use that to try to excuse myself from the wrongdoings in my life. It often looks like, you know, when it comes to sin in my life and I'm talking to God and I, I say, God, you know, like, like, you know, it wasn't really a sin. It was just kind of like a mistake. I'm not a sinner. I'm a mistaker. That's what I am. You know? Or I look at it and go, with all the things that are going on in the world, like, at least I'm not doing that. I mean, I mean that's bad over it. This right here, like, I probably shouldn't have done it, but, but it's not all that, it's not all that bad. But when I pause and I use the language of confession, I look eye to eye with Jesus and say, I agree with you. This wasn't just a mistake, this was a sin. And this sin was incredibly offensive to you. It was incredibly offensive. And it's behavior that, that I need to stop. It, I can't keep doing this. And the promise is, is when we enter into that type of confession, that God is faithful and just to forgive us. Faithful means that God is willing. Just means that God is morally able. 
that God is willing and morally able to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from them. That is to wash away the stain, to make you a Genesis 2 person before him. That if we confess our sins, he is both willing and able to forgive those sins. See, the life that Jesus is calling us to is not some kind of two-faced self-deception, but rather a lifestyle that is continually self-examining, striving to gradually become like our Savior, day by day, looking more and more like Jesus. And rather than standing up and saying, I, I don't have any sin, that's just kidding ourselves. Instead, in that moment, we, we look eye to eye at Jesus and we go, man, I agree with you. You're right. This behavior is not what it needs to be. It's messing with my relationship with you. It's messing with my ability to be real with others. I need your help to overcome this in my life. And in that moment, Jesus washes your soul and you experience freedom. However, verse 10, if we say, here's the third false narrative of life. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I have three kids. And about once a week in the morning, as they're coming down, you know, after getting ready, they come down for breakfast to get ready to go to school. About once a week, I look at them, and as I'm looking them over, I'll say something to one of them that says something like this. You got a stain on your shirt. And they look at me and they go, no, I don't. As if I'm lying to them. And then what I find myself doing over the next 10 minutes is trying to convince them that they actually do have a stain on their shirt until they eventually go upstairs and change and put on a shirt without a stain. Any parents relate to this? My kids are the only weird ones. Okay, good. All right. All right, a few of you do. Okay, good, good. John says, same thing. Same thing. When we step into the light, our sins are suddenly exposed. And when we find ourselves denying that, making excuses around that, when we convince ourselves that, that really it's all okay, it's like Jesus coming up and going, hey, buddy, you got a stain on your shirt. And we go, uh-uh. And Jesus goes, yeah, it's right there. And I go, no, I don't. What John is saying is that in that moment that you are looking at Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, you're a liar. You're a liar. Now, come on. Is that the dance that our souls really long for? Is, it, is, that, is that really the road that we wanna go down? Is that the path to the intimacy that every single one of us desires? Is that the road we walk that will draw us deeper? I mean, the next time that, that you are tempted to excuse, to reason, to rationalize, to explain away your sin, remember that in that moment while you are pulling back into the darkness, that you're looking at Jesus and going, God, you're a liar. John continues in the next verse. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, I'm writing these things to you so you know what it looks like to dance in the light, so you know what it looks like to be children of the lights. But if anyone does sin. That if is not a conditional if. It's, it's more translated, better translated maybe since. But since we all sin, 
We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's the point. The entire, all of these verses, John's driving to one single point, and it's this, that we are to live a lifestyle. We are to live a lifestyle where we live in light. A lifestyle that's not cultivating sin, but when we sin, if we sin, we understand that it's not death, it's not eternal separation from God again. Why? Because we have an advocate. The Greek word there is the word paraclete. It's, it's a courtroom word that means to have someone standing beside you. In modern English, we would call them a lawyer. Maybe the, the way to think about it is that I have my own personal attorney to stand with me when I am standing before God, the Father, accounting for my sins. And John tells us that this advocate is not just our lawyer, but also our propitiation. Now, I'm willing to bet a lot of money that none of you were throwing that term around while you're sitting with your boys last night watching the Broncos get boat raced by the Lions, right? Like, propitiation is just not a word that we use all that often, but what it means is a payment of debt. It's a payment of debt to a proprietor. That's what propitiation is. It's a payment of debt to the proprietor. Now, for us, this is really difficult language, but in the first century, they totally got it. They knew what was being said here. And if you're here today, whether, whether you're a believer or not, this is really important. What the Bible calls your sin, your trespasses, your misdeeds, that sin has created a debt. And people often describe this debt as a weight, a feeling of weight on their souls. And the reason that you feel that weight is because it's really there. You really do owe a debt. You, you really owe a debt. And the problem is, is that your soul can't make the payments. That's why you're walking around feeling heavy. You really are in debt. And the weight that you carry is not just a feeling of owing yourself, wishing that you had not done it. But it's also a feeling that you really do owe God. That your misdeeds have created a debt. And that debt is owed to God the Father who is the proprietor. The one that you've sinned against. And the only way that that debt can be paid, according to the Bible, is with life. It's with the spilling of blood. It's why the cross is so important to our faith. Because what John says here is, is so huge that Jesus himself became the propitiation. He became the payment of our debts. That by his death, by his death, our sins were paid for. That the heaviness of your soul caused by your sin was literally nailed to the cross. That's what John's saying. He's saying, when I sin, I realize that I have an, an advocate, a lawyer to represent me. But he's not only my lawyer, but he's my lawyer is the one who made the payment for my sin. And so when I stand before the God, Father, exposed, all the ugliness exposed before him, that my lawyer stands up and goes, this man's debt is paid in full. And the reason that I know it's paid in full is because I'm the one who paid it. I'm the one who covered it. 
which is great news because there'll never be a moment in eternity where God the Father, where God the Father does not accept payment from God the Son. That is as sure as sure gets. It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's why we have all of this festive season around Christmas. See, every single one of us was created to dance. Our souls long to experience that kind of relationship with God where we start with a clean slate, that your soul longs to enter into the dance with Jesus and until you give your soul what it longs for, you will be restless. But here's the deal. If we're gonna dance with Jesus, we can't scurry like raccoons. We gotta come into the light. See, the problem is not whether you sin or not. The problem is not whether you sin or not. We all sin. The real issue is what do you do in that critical moment when the light exposes your sin? What do you do in that moment when the light exposes your sin? Do you scurry like a raccoon back into the darkness, walking down the path in the alleyway, starting your own dance studio? Do you pretend as if there is no sin actually in your life? Do you look at Jesus when he points out the sin in your life and go, no, it ain't there? Or do you confess? Do you acknowledge and own up to your willful and sometimes subtle waywardness? Where you live a lifestyle that's constantly self-examining, gradually becoming like Jesus, the one that you love. See, when our sins are exposed, when the light shines, we know that we have an advocate, a lawyer who stands alongside us. And as we're standing there with him, we look at him in the eye and we say, look, I agree. What I've done is wrong. What I've done breaks your heart. What I've done separates me from you and separates me from the community that I long for. And in that moment, when we live like that, we experience, we experience grace and forgiveness. It's Jesus' blood that, that cleanses us so that we might stand before him, vulnerable, exposed, and totally unashamed as Genesis 2 people. And in that moment, not only do we find intimacy with God, but we also find deep connection, real community with others. I mean, at Crossroads, we are so committed to this life. We are so committed to this kind of lifestyle. It's why we talk about community groups every single week. Because it's in those groups, as imperfect as they are. And they're imperfect because they're made up of us. Imperfect people. In those imperfect groups, we have the opportunity to dance. And to experience the promise of 1 John chapter 1. Where we get to stand in the light, totally vulnerable, exposed, and not ashamed at all. Because we have an advocate that our debt has been paid. At the end of service, James and Tiffany are going to give you an opportunity to tell you how you can join into one of these community groups. But if you're here today and you're living a life, I would even call it the exhausting life of pretending as if your sins don't exist, or maybe even worse, trying to pay back the debts. There's a better life. You have been invited into a dance, and we would love to teach you what those steps look like. If that's where you're at today, you can text the name of Jesus 
to our text number, 720-513-1933. Will you bow and pray with me? Oh, Father, how we long to dance. How we long to, to have a life where we don't have to scurry around in the darkness, hiding the thing, worried about the stuff that's going to fall out of our closets. But rather that we could live a life of freedom, complete vulnerability before you, be able to walk in deep connection and deep community with others. Father, this Christmas, as we've talked about the light of the world and you sending your son, the reality of how significant that is, is right here. That through Jesus, we have both an advocate and our propitiation. That we have a lawyer and the one who pays for our sins. And Lord, the freedom that we have in coming to you and knowing that all of our misdeeds, our sins, our trespasses were nailed to the cross. And that in our confession, in our confession, we can find healing. God, I'm thankful for the community that that gives. I'm thankful for my own community group that gets to experience this week by week as we gather together, walking through this life, not as perfect people, but as totally imperfect people, trying to navigate the lifestyle that you call us to. Lord, I'm thankful for the real and deep relationships that that brings. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would be able to experience that kind of community, that kind of connection in their life with you and with others. It's in your son's name that I pray all of this, the name of Jesus. Amen.